Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Great. Great to see you all. Happy Valentine's Day. Thanks for sharing your Valentine's Day with us. Uh, hopefully, men, you're uh, already on top of it and everything is in order to celebrate Valentine's Day if you have that special someone in your life. And uh, if not, let me just share with you how romantic I am. So for Valentine's Day for my wife, I'm wearing this shirt. That's my Valentine's Day gift to my wife. Uh, she bought it for me about three years ago. And uh, if you know me at all, uh, this is not my style. Matter of fact, I have this kind of issue with wearing more than two colors on one shirt. And one of those colors must be black, gray, or navy. And so for, for Valentine's Day as a gift to my wife, I'm wearing this shirt. So please don't compliment it though, because that means I have to wear it again. So that's it. That's the extent of my Valentine's Day. We're so romantic in our house, so romantic. No, hopefully, hopefully uh, for the people in your life who mean the most to you, you have taken some time to express it verbally or through gifts in some way, uh, your love for those people. I'm glad you're here with us. We are, um, we're gonna start in Colossians 1 in just a moment. So if you've got a Bible and wanna go ahead and turn there, um, go ahead and do so. If you've got a phone or a tablet, wanna go ahead and get there, go ahead and do that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we put black hardback Bibles under the seats around you. Uh, those are for you. If you don't own a Bible, um, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's word. If it's not a black hardback Bible, it might belong to somebody. Don't take that one home. Uh, but the black hardback Bibles are there for you. So please uh, go ahead and, and grab one and turn to Colossians 1. Now, fair warning, we're going to be all over the place this morning. So I've put all the scriptures in the sermon notes for you. Um, the nature of today's topic is going to lead us across uh, the, the entire Bible. And so we're going to be moving fast. We'll put the verses on the, on the screen behind me. Um, feel free, uh, Bible drill style, to try to keep up if you want and kind of follow along. But the sermon notes are there for you. So when you go home, you can continue the meditation on God's word. It'll continue to allow him speak to you. Um, and so that, that this conversation that the Holy Spirit begins with you in here would transcend into your daily walk this week. So that's there for you. All right, so today... Uh, we're going to continue the sermon series, A Church on Mission. And that's not the first time you've heard that phrase today, because we had a video rolling earlier that said we were a church on mission. We use that phrase in every service uh, because we believe that Jesus has called us to be a church on mission. And so we started a sermon series looking at this mission that Jesus has given the church and what that means for us in the entirety of the things that we do. Because, see, I think one of our tendencies in the church is to hear the word mission and immediately we think about trips and events, right? It's just a category of things that we do and don't realize that everything that we do, everything that we do is part of the mission, and second to that, as a church, we don't get to make up our mission. Jesus has given the church his mission. And so we started this series to walk through the different aspects of ministry and how those, everything that we do is part of this mission. And so last week, one of, the, one of the beginning phrases that I shared with you was a quote from a John Piper book, uh, Let the Nations Be Glad. Matter of fact, it's the beginning of the book um, where John Piper says that mission exists because worship doesn't. And so we saw in our last sermon series, the culmination of Revelation is this beautiful explosion of eternal worship basking in the glory of God. And so we know that that's the end result we're working towards. But while we're here on earth, living this life God has called us to, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a parent with, with young children, whether your children are grown and you're beginning to get a little gray in the beard or in the hair, where, whatever stage of life you're in, you're on that mission to lead people into a relationship with Jesus that would end with the result of what? Glory and worship. 
And so our mission goal is worship. So what we're going to do today is shift our conversation for the next two weeks looking at worship. And so I want to start with a working definition of worship to get us started. And I want to say this. I think in our minds we hear the word worship, we tend to gravitate towards music, right? Music and the service. That's our our worship to God. Now, music is one of the primary modes and expressions of worship in the Bible. And for sure, when it comes to corporate worship, you and I worshiping together, music is one of the most fabulous and uh, beautiful expressions of worship when you and I are singing praises unto God. However, music alone is not worship. So I want to start with just a definition of what worship is at its core. It's a working definition. A year from now, I'll give you my definition, and it'll probably be different. But this is what... I have concluded so far in my journey with Christ. Worship is, worship is the expression of the heart's deepest affection towards the object that captivates the heart's earnest attention in the pursuit of happiness. So, so let, me, let me say it this way, worship is an expression If I hold all this in, I'm not worshiping. It's got to come out. Worship is an expression of two primary things happening. My deepest heart's affections combined with what my mind is thinking of intently and earnestly. Whatever captivates my mind's earnest attention culminating what? In the pursuit of happiness. And so I'm using the word happiness this morning, and I want to take a second to, talk, to define that for us. What I'm not talking about is shallow, lighthearted happiness that's based on what I'm eating for dinner or whether or not somebody likes my Facebook post, right? That kind of momentary, oh, I feel good about things and gone in just a moment kind of happiness. What we're talking about when we use the word happiness is we're talking about that place in the depths of the soul where joy lingers, and lingers at such a depth that no matter what happens to me on the surface today, it can't touch that joy. That's the kind of happiness we're talking about. See, the reality is that every human being ever has pursued happiness, right? Every person in this room, you're you're here today based on happiness. Now, before you disagree with me, let me explain what I mean by that. Some of you came here today because you have a relationship with Jesus and you believe that coming here to sing songs or to hear his word taught, it would bring about some joy in your life. And so you're here today, right? Others of you knew that if you didn't come, the person who invited you to come would would wreak havoc on you the rest of the day and the rest of the day wouldn't be happy. So you came, right? So that ultimately you could be happy later today. Whichever end of the spectrum you come from, you're sitting here today because of your pursuit of happiness, all right? You'll, you'll get up tomorrow morning and go to work in the pursuit of happiness because you believe that through the hard labor and the hard work that you give that the end result will bring about joy or happiness. That doesn't mean that you're happy driving to work. It means that you're pursuing happiness in what you're doing. Now, we're going to be talking about that pursuit of joy and happiness today and its connection with worship. I want to read for you a quote from Blaise Pascal of historically a mathematician, a religious philosopher. Uh, Pascal wrote this. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war 
and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step, step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. It really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Everything I do, I do it in some sense believing it will bring joy or happiness, right? Whether that's in the form of relief or that's in the form of satisfaction or pleasure, right? I do, right, what I believe in the end will deliver something good to me. Even my pursuit of Jesus, right, is, is about that. We're going to start with Colossians 1, looking at the commingling of created purpose and worship. Colossians 1, verse 16. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, we know in context, this is a verse about Jesus. The hymn is Jesus. So I'm going to reread it, exchanging the hymn for Jesus. Let's read it again. For by Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Now, in that one verse, we've just collided with both our source and our purpose. I want you to think for just a minute about art and artists, okay? Um, whether you're a person who enjoys music or painted art or poetry or some other form of art, good art, right, will transcend generations, right, ethnicities, socioeconomic barriers, right? Good art goes beyond, uh, right, just the artist himself or herself. But you, you can't separate artists from art, right? So you and I could see a painting and we could interpret the painting, this is what I believe the artist was thinking, and you could really study it and maybe notice some things, especially if you know the artist. You could say, well, this seems to be the point of this piece of art, whether it's a song, uh, a piece of poetry, or a painted piece of art, right? But the reality is this. You, as an interpreter, right, can never change the artist's purpose. The artist, him or herself, created for a specific reason. It represents them, right? And so at the end of the day, Regardless of your interpretations, if you sit down with the artist, the artist is the authority who says, this is what that ultimately why that piece of art exists. So we just read a verse that says this, that you and I are essentially art, and Jesus is the artist. He's the source. Think about that. What does that mean then? That despite my interpretations of what I want my life to be about, despite whatever ideas I come up with that would indicate my purpose in life, they can never trump the purposes of the original creator, the original artist, Jesus. And so I believe this is what Paul is getting at in Colossians 1.16 when he says, all things were created through Jesus, and so therefore all things were created for Jesus. So embedded in your created in Jesus creating you is your purpose. You can't separate the two, right? And so when we look at why you and I were created, we understand that you and I were created for him. 
Now, the entire Bible points to this truth. We could, we could start in Genesis 1. You and I were created to bear his image, right, to reflect his glory here on earth as objects of his creation, to bear witness to the character of the creator here on earth. We go all the way to the other end of your Bible to Revelation and land in, in eternity where it just seems like worship is the main thing that we do. We go to Corinthians where Paul talks about whether you eat or you sleep, do everything for what? The glory of God. God reminds us through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for, right? The artist gets to determine what we were created for. What? My glory whom I formed and made. Your purpose is rooted in creation. And the Bible says this, you were created to worship. You were created to worship. And if this is true, then here's what we can conclude. We will find our ultimate satisfaction in life in the deepest sense of happiness in harmony with our created purpose. There'll be nothing else I can do on earth that will bring me more joy or happiness in the depths of who I am than when I am worshiping the one in whom I was created to worship. You see, here's the reality. When we just conclude that music is worship, right, some people then could let themselves off the hook and say, well, I'm just not a worshiper. It's not true. All men worship. All women worship. The question is, who or what are you worshiping? What is the object that has captured your heart's affections and, and your mind's most earnest intentions in the pursuit of happiness? And there you'll find your object of worship. Now, anything can be worship as we're going to see. A person, right? A spouse, a significant other, high school dating, right? If I just, this person will just go out with me, I'll be happy. Become adults. If I just get this purchase or this job or this position in my career path, I'll be happy, right? The pursuit of joy and happiness in things here on earth is is, is, the, is, the, is, is the human experience. Let me, uh, let me read this to you. Because I see, I think that, at least in the church I grew up in, there was a disconnect between worship and joy. For some reason, it was, it was, it was taught that the two were mutually exclusive. Right? That, that there was a time for worship, right? Where I said, check my joy at the door, and I and right, and I and I and I, I yield myself to God, and then when I'm done with worship, I get to pick joy back up again, and then we'll go have lunch together and we'll all be happy. Right? So that somehow the two were mutually exclusive, but what we're gonna see from God's word is that they're actually very interdependent. That my deepest levels of joy will be found and my most vibrant expressions of worship. I appreciate King David's song that's recorded in 1 Chronicles 16. We're going to look at this song together, a piece of this song together. It's a song about worship. And I want you to listen for the commingling of reverent worship and rejoicing in joy and happiness. Listen to the words of King David. He says in verse 23 of 1 Chronicles 16, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. It's a call to worship, right? David is calling creation to worship. Then he goes on in verse 25. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. 
For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Verse 27, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. Trembling, fear the Lord, be reverent. And then look at the next verse. In the same song, in the same expression of worship, let the heavens be what? Glad. And let the earth, what? Rejoice and let them say among the nations with happiness and joy, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then, then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures See, there's interdependence between my deepest joy and my worship of the one true God. The greatest declaration of worship I could make with my life is this, and, and, and I would make this declaration with joy and reverence, God, you and you alone are enough. One of my greatest statements of worship is, God, you and you alone are enough, Period. you're taking notes with us, the Bible teaches that you were created to worship God in every aspect of your life. You were created to worship God in every aspect of your life. Now, whether or not that's taking place or not is still up for debate, right? But every human being is worshiping something or someone. And what David said in his song is that this is idolatry. It's the pursuit of idols, okay? We're gonna talk today about idols and how quickly and easily and subtly idols can capture our hearts and enslave us and ensnare us into obedience. Let's think for just a minute about what it means to pursue the desires of our own hearts. See, every human being in, in our flesh, right? every human being in this room believes that he or she knows what's best for themselves. Right? right? We look up in the, we got teenagers sitting in this section up here. We know that right now where they are in life, you guys realize that you know so much more about life than you did when you were five. You're beginning to get some things figured out, right? You're beginning to, to realize, oh, there's probably a purpose to this thing and I need to get it figured out. And so, right? And you, you also are tempted to believe that you know more than your parents because they don't, right? They can't figure out Instagram and, and, and you know, and they don't even say, tweeting right and like you know so much more than them right but the reality is this five years from now you're going to realize how much you didn't know right now okay but can I let you in on a little secret this is true of all the older people in the room too see we all are hardwired to believe we know what's best for us right now but there's this ever-present reality that greets us about every four to five years and we, we awaken to a deeper sense of what's true and we look back and go, I didn't know near as much as I thought I did, right? 
You parents who have your kids raised and out of the house, you're pros at it now, right? Start over again and see how it works, right? Start over again and see how it works. This is a true reality. We are hardwired to believe. We know what's best for us. We know what will make us happy. Ask my four-year-old at bedtime. Dessert. That's what will make me the happiest, Dad. But what? But as a loving father, I know that that's not ultimately true. It's going to keep you awake. You're going to get a horrible night's sleep or it's going to give you nightmares. And then I'm going to get a horrible night's sleep when you come running into my room to tell me about your nightmare. You don't need dessert. You need sleep. See, we, we believe we know what's best for ourselves. Romans 1, the Apostle Paul describes um, what happens when sin begins to influence and, and get tangled up with the desires of the human heart. Romans 1, starting in verse 24, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So he's describing a group, a group of people. The desires of their heart was impurity, right? And God gave them up to that, let them have it. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and here was the result, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Now what Paul is describing here is true of all human hearts. That if we just go at it and pursue the desires of our flesh, it's not going to end well for us. It's actually a good thing that God restrains those things, right? Doesn't just give us over and let us have at it. You see what Paul concluded here? That when our hearts are bent by sin, what happens to our worship? It shifts from the creator to creation. And anything that has been created is qualified to be an object of worship. Anything that you're pursuing ultimate happiness in besides God is idol worship. It can happen again in relationships. If you're looking for your ultimate source of joy in your spouse, you've got to be married about probably 13 minutes to realize it's not going to work out very well. Because they weren't created to meet that need in your life. And then what happens when we have kids? Well, she isn't meeting my needs anymore. He's just a horrible, right? So then we shift our love and our affection towards our children. Your children make lousy gods. They're cute. They're chubby-cheeked, right? They're fun to snuggle with, sleep in and have a little snuggle time, all there, right? But they make lousy gods. They do. And so anything that captures your heart's affection and your mind's most earnest attention in a way that it promises to make you happy other than God himself is the worship of an idol. It can be a career path like we talked about earlier. And you are believing and you're working hard to achieve something, believing that you'll be happy when you get it. Or maybe it's a particular house in a particular neighborhood. And so you're thinking, when I get this, I'll finally be happy. How many of us have driven off the lot in a brand new car, right, thinking it's going to make me happy. I've earned this. It's going to be good. And then two weeks later, it smells like a happy meal, right? And you still have to pay the same monthly price. And we think, what did I do? We pursued joy in an object of creation, and it didn't deliver what it promised. 
in the book Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. I'm going to read a quote to you. It's a great book, by the way, about this very topic. He says this, Most people spend their lives trying to make the heart's fondest dreams come true. That's pretty true, isn't it? He goes on to say, isn't that what life is about, the pursuit of happiness? We search endlessly for ways to acquire the things we desire, and we are willing to sacrifice much to achieve them. Now, in a minute, we're going to talk about how easily good things become idols. So don't just think this is all about negative, evil things. Good, God-created things can easily become our objects of worship. Then he goes on to say, we never imagine that getting our heart's deepest desire might be the worst thing that could ever happen to us. Until it happens, right? And then we recalibrate and go, oh, well, I, I was off a little bit. Let me, let, me, let me grab another object that'll make me happy. And we start pursuing it. Well, this is what I believe Paul's talking about in Romans 1. One of the most unloving, thing God, unloving things that God could do as our father is just let us go have it with our passions and go do whatever the heart wants to do at any given moment. Ephesians chapter two, um, in more explicit terms, Paul describes the journey of every human being before Jesus. And I want you to hear his description, okay? This is how Paul would describe my life before I became a Christian. Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So I was a dead man walking. My life was void of purpose and, and a true sense of joy. He goes on to say, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in. Here's how we all participated in that at one time. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Oh, that hurts. Now we're gonna pick that passage back up in a few minutes and hear the good news, but let's start with what's true about our lives. Each one of us in, in, in all kinds of ways started off pursuing joy in the things that our flesh told us would make us happy. If I get this, if I have this, if I eat this, if I touch this, if I do this, it'll make me happy. And so we sacrificially pursued these things, meaning we gave up other things, right? Meaning we worked hard at it, meaning we became disciplined to pursue these things. I want to read another quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. This is in the book Mere Christianity. I don't know how many C.S. Lewis fans we have. He's primarily a fiction, Christian fic was a Christian fiction author, um, so um, Chronicles of Narnia, okay? But he has a few nonfiction works and Mere Christianity is one of them. It's actually a series of lectures he did. And I try to read this about every three years. I try to go back through it. It's a little book. I wanna read you a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity on this same topic. He says this, when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. He's saying, you think that you would finally get it. 
He goes on to say what? There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they can or they never quite keep their promise. It's a really fancy way of saying this, that in the heart of every human being is a longing for eternity to, to, re, to return to the God-given purpose of worshiping God. Right? But we each buy into the lie that we can fulfill that need, that, that itch, that wanting and that longing by something here on earth, and every time it fails us. Creation never delivers what it promises you. Whether it's a relationship or a thing, a car, an idea, a dream, an ambition, a career. Go chase it. And you'll come to the same end. Now, if you're taking notes with us, idol worship occurs when we pursue the passions of our flesh and carry out the desires of our body and mind. We hear that verse that we read earlier, we, think, we tend to think all evil stuff. So we're gonna talk in just a minute about how good things can fall on that list, right? Good things can be present, right, among the idols of our hearts. But the reality is this, anything, right, that, that captures us in this way, that our passions are driven towards it and our desires are funneling towards a thing other than God, it's idol worship. Um, I love the, uh, the humor and the satire present in the word of God. And probably the most common place to find uh, satire or maybe even sarcasm is on this topic of idols. Psalm 135 is one of those such places. Psalm 135 verse 15, the psalmist is writing a song about idols and how cool they are. And so he goes on to say, the idols of the nations... The idols of the nations are silver and gold in the works of human hands. They're things that we create. These become our idols, regardless of what nation you're from. They have, here's the irony, they have mouths, but they don't what? They can't speak, right? They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. There's a lot of irony in pursuing joy in idols, right? Because they, they can't deliver what they're promising. But look at this last verse here, 18. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. Idols have a very subtle but very real way of capturing us, entangling us, ensnaring us, bringing us into slavery and obedience. Now, if you think I'm kidding, let me give you a couple of subtle examples of how easily it is to be controlled by an idol, okay? Um, have you ever been derailed from, your, uh, from your, your path by chocolate? You know what I'm talking about. You're driving, you've got a, a plan, you've got a route, you've got somewhere you're going, and, or maybe not chocolate, maybe it was Starbucks, right? And you just, you just, you made it, I, I, I don't have time, right? I don't have time today, it costs too much money, don't make eye contact with the sign, right? And you're driving by, only to what? Well, you know what, I, I've got a couple, it, it won't take that long, you pull in, Right? So if it wasn't your plan, yet you, you went for it anyway in just a very subtle way, do you see how that controlled you? It changed your course, caused you to do something that you originally didn't intend to do. Now it's right, chocolate, Starbucks, how about the grocery store? Don't go hungry, why? Because that stomach, right, it'll, it's a strong, it can become a strong idol, right? It can draw you away from your list. Gosh, don't focus, just, man, if we could just 
text our list into the grocery store and have it ready for us. And we just pick it up without walking down those stinking aisles. We go in so focused, right? I'm not gonna buy anything that's not on my list. I'm not gonna buy anything that's not on my list. I'm not gonna buy anything that's on my, oh, look, that's on sale. <laughs> look at it. We're just look. we just wanna, you know, just read in, look at the ingredients. And oh, look at that. Right, so easily we get derailed from our intentions and purposes by what? The passions of our flesh. And, just, and I'm just giving you subtle examples, right? Exchange chocolate for a career. And you can see how powerful and how entangling it can actually be. As a matter of fact, in Romans 1, we read earlier that not only do we worship these idols, but we serve them. They ensnare us, they enslave us, and they call us into obedience. Why? Because we believe the lie. I want what you're, what you're promising. You're promising me happiness and joy, and that's what I want. I want this longing to be fulfilled, so I'm gonna to submit to you. Whatever it takes to make it happen. So if it's at work, you become a yes man or yes, a yes man or yes woman. Right? Because why? You want, to, you want to be the first name on the list when promotion comes up. You want to be the first name on the list when the boss says, who could I promote? Who could I reward? Right? And so what? Then we, we obey those, those desires. And so we're, we're yes men. We're yes women. Romans 6, um, full chapter on this, this reality that you know what, I can try to fool myself into thinking that I'm not a slave to anyone or anything. But if you'll go look at my bank account, you'll look at where I spend my money, go look at my calendar where I spend my time, you'll see something quite different. I'm enslaved by all kinds of things. I'm a slave to many things. I'll start with the New Year's resolution. There's a good example. Here's what I want out of life, right? Objective, honest, this is what I want to achieve. And how long does it take before we get derailed? What is that derailment? It's, it's a giving in, right? We are so quickly drawn off the path. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna walk through a list of things that potentially are just good things, right? Uh, good things that God can use for his glory that can become idols, just to show us how subtly and how easily um, this can take place. So here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna read a, a statement. I want you to have this statement in your mind, okay? It's either this, life only has meaning when, dot, dot, dot. So keep that in your mind. Life only has meaning when, or I only have value if, dot, dot, dot. Okay, we're going to go look for some idols in our life here, okay? So if any of these statements is true about you, you may have found an idol, okay? You may have. Life only has meaning when, or I only have value if, here's the first one, I have influence over others. I have influence over others. That could be a good thing. The Apostle Paul had a significant influence over the church. It was a, a good thing, right? But if I'm looking for my joy in that, I have come in contact with the idol of power. How about this one? I am loved and respected by fill in the blank. I am loved and respected by blank. Could be your spouse, could be a person you want to date, could be somebody at work. I am loved and respected by blank. The idol of approval. I feel good. Who doesn't want to feel good? Right? But if your statement is life only has meaning when I feel good, you've potentially come in contact with the idol of comfort. How about this? Things go my way in the area of blank. Parenting, marriage, work, household chores, traffic, 
If that's true, then you've come in contact with the idol of control. I am needed. I struggle with this one a lot early on in life. Who doesn't want to be needed? Right? I want people to need me. But if I'm looking for my joy in being needed, it is the idol of being needed. How about this one? Somebody is present to protect me or keep me safe. Someone is present to protect me or keep me safe. It could be the idol of dependence. And then on the flip side of that is this. I am doing what matters most to me. The idol of independence. Right? Either you're potentially so dependent on others that they become your idol, the fact that they're in your life, or you're so dependent on yourself that you have become an own idol to yourself. How about this? Careful. Life only has meaning when, or I only have value if, I am highly productive in getting things done. Land on anybody? Yeah, I got my to-do list. I'm knocking it out. Whoa, this is good. What happens when somebody throws a wrench into your plans? <laughs> Anger. Why? Because I'm not happy unless I'm productive. And I had it all mapped out. And you messed up my plan. You feel how that, that engages the stirring of the affections of the heart all of a sudden? I'm, you got too close to my idol. Back off, Jack. When I get done with my list, then we can talk. Idol of achievement. Here's another one. Unless I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and the things I deserve, could be the idol of materialism. Here's one for the good church folk. Life only has meaning when I am living morally and serving sacrificially. Oh, those are good things. Easy. Yeah, but they make lousy gods. If you're looking for joy in your morality, you're going to fail yourself. And then what happens? Right? You're thrust right into depression and shame and that God will let you down. Serving sacrificially can be good. But if you're looking for your joy in that, right? It's going to let you down. A couple more. This one person is in my life and happy to be there. This one person is in my life and happy to be there. The idol of an individual person. How about this one? Life only has meaning or I am only valued if I get invited by a specific group. I mean, we've, right? We latched onto that idol in, in kindergarten, right? I saw it on Facebook. They went without me, didn't invite me. You posted all these pictures on there to rub it in my face. There was a dislike button. <laughs> they get invited, right? I mean, they don't want to be invited, but when it crushes you, right? When it touches you in the depths of your joy, you've potentially latched onto an idol, the idol of acceptance. And nobody struggles with this one. Nobody struggles with this one, I'm sure. I only have value if I have a particular kind of look or body image. The idol of outward appearances. Now, I just went through a really short list of things. Anything that has been created by God can become our idol. And the way that they become our idol is when our heart's deepest affections and our mind's most earnest Intent is driven towards a particular item, believing that it will deliver 
purpose and happiness and joy and satisfaction. And it will, these things will lie to you every time. It's why when you get that position at work, the next thing you do is think about what's next. It's why when you get that car, you either regret that you ever bought it or you start thinking about the next new car, right? When you get that house, just had to have this house and I was gonna have, I thought I would just be so fulfilled when I got this house and then what? The sewer backs up and then all of a sudden your joy's gone. Want a new house. Now, let's get to the good news, shall we? Let's get to the cross and how the cross impacts our idol worship. Can we just be honest for a minute? We all worship. And let's be honest about another thing. Our hearts are prone to worship creation rather than creator. We're prone to latch on to idols. Here's what I want you to hear. Jesus has died to free us from slavery to idols. He has died to set you free. Galatians 5, it is for freedom you've been set free. He has unlocked the binding chains to idols. We go back to Colossians 1. This is where we began. Let's, 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 let's come back to Colossians 1 together. Verse 13 of Colossians 1, this is about Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, that happened for us on the cross. Keep reading, jump down to verse 18, Colossians 1. Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, ultimate, of highest value in our lives, right? That he would be the main object of our affections. He goes on, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. I don't know what you think about when you hear he reconciled all things. Those things are people, right? People whose worship is attached to things here on earth. He's reconciling that. He's reconciling you to your God-created purpose and design. He's unveiling your eyes to see that your greatest joy is gonna be had, right? When you engage in and participate in the very thing you were created to do, there will be no greater or deeper sense of joy. Ephesians 2, remember we read that earlier about how we're all dead men walking and following the prince, the power of the air, and right, and following the passions and all these real dark verses. We stopped at verse three in Ephesians 2. Let's pick it up in verse four. But God being rich in mercy, look at this. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, look at what he did. He made us alive together in Christ. I was pursuing these idols, looking for joy and happiness in idols. Look at a dead man walking without purpose, without joy. And even while I was doing all that stuff, right, is when Jesus came to me and said, come, I wanna make you alive. I want to change the way you see things. I want to show you a deeper joy in the depths of who you are. I want to give you a relationship that nobody can touch. I want to secure eternity for you in a way that it doesn't matter what happens to your physical body or the circumstances in your life. You will know you belong to him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church. And I want us to think this way. I, I would like to receive a letter like this as a church, okay? 
I really would. Um, if you're visiting with us here today, there's a lot of excitement lingering in the air here at the church. God is doing some amazing things in our church family right now. Some amazing things. And that doesn't mean that our lives are going easy. Just be straight up honest with you. Life is still hard, but God is restoring marriages, freeing addictions, healing brokenness, right? Restoring broken relationships, restoring purpose and joy all across the place. Community groups, ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, through our Sunday morning services. There's a lot of exciting things happening here at the church. But this one thing is, is my prayer coming into this morning, that we could receive a letter like this from the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, look at what he says. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That is my longing and my prayer for this church. All the good work that God is doing, that we could become a church that lays down our idols. That's my prayer coming in today. That you and I will be really honest about the things in our life that have captured our affections and that have in some ways controlled us and guided our steps and that today the Holy Spirit would unveil those things to you so not to make you feel guilty or make you leave here in shame so that you can release those things. So you could believe the gospel. Even if you're a Christian, believe the gospel that it is for freedom you've been set free from those things. It's my prayer for us. That's all I want you to know that. If you're visiting with us, thinking about making this your church home, just know that. We want to become a people who have cast down our idols and have lashed our hearts to Jesus and Jesus alone. If you're taking notes, when we turn to Jesus in true repentance, okay? Repentance isn't a bad word in church. It's a good word. When we turn to Jesus in true repentance of our idol worship, meaning what? We acknowledge it, we recognize it, and we drop it, right? I realized I was latching onto this relationship, so today I'm gonna drop it, Jesus. Repentance of our idol worship. He removes our sins, transfers our identity, reconciles our relationship to God and makes us fully alive to worship. I just, that comes out of the verses I just read. From Colossians to Ephesians to Thessalonians. This is the work Jesus has done on the cross for you. Let me read it again. He has died on the cross to remove your sins, to transfer your identity, right? When we lived in a kingdom of darkness and, 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 and we were noted for our idol worship, he's delivered us from that to a kingdom of light and joy and, and happiness. He reconciles our relationship to God and makes us fully alive. If you're, if you're not a Christian and in your mind you're thinking, I just can't get it, there's a reason for that. You're thinking, I just don't know why these people get so excited about singing these weird songs to Jesus. Hey, you've got a great point, right? You're making a valid point. The point is this, is that when you become a Christian, Jesus unveils your eyes to see the world differently. And he does a work on your heart and he makes it alive in such a way where you're no longer satisfied with the things here on earth that once so easily satisfied you. If you were at men's ministry a couple weeks ago, the guy speaking on the video gave a testimony about how Jesus had broken an addiction for him. And he said, Jesus changed my appetite, right? Before Jesus, these things here on earth used to satisfy me, even just for a moment. And I'd move on to the next thing. 
and I found my satisfaction in how well my sports team was doing or my, my alma mater, right? And I had my identity and all these little things here on earth. But now that I've met Jesus, he's changed my appetite. Those things now taste bitter to me. Those things no longer satisfy the deep longing and hunger in my heart. So let's, let's do this. Let's end with a verse that, that might just be one of the most hijacked verses in all the Bible. Okay? Now that's a bold statement. Psalm 37, verse 4. You may have a t-shirt with this verse or a coffee cup or maybe your screensaver. I mean not to offend, but let's just talk about it honestly. By hijack, I mean this. Taken out of context, right? Manipulated and massaged to mean something it doesn't actually mean. So here's the verse, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so many have fixated on the last part of that verse that they have completely missed the meaning of it. See, God wants me to be happy. In my t-shirt, I got the Psalm 37 on my t-shirt. God wants me to be happy. Don't stand up there and tell me not to find my happiness in my career. I'm gonna be happy when I get that job. See, look right here. Completely hijacked out of context of what God's actually saying. See, the word delight in this passage First of all, it means delight, okay? But one way to, to, that you could translate it would be this, to take exquisite pleasure in. It's a very powerful sense of delight, okay? It's not the cheap delight that, that I get from, right, from eating this chocolate and then a few minutes later I'm done with it kind of delight. This is a delight that stirs in the depths of our soul where joy lingers, delight. And the command of this verse is what? Delight yourself, In what? The Lord. This is a call to worship. This is a call to take your affections and your mind's attention off of the small things in this world and place them on Christ alone. When you delight yourself in the Lord and the Lord alone, when you take exquisite pleasure in him, guess what? He gives you the desires of your heart. Why? Because he is the desire of your heart. And what he gives you will be, you ready for this word? Not popular in our generation. It'll be enough. Enough. And that's a word we need to embrace. Enough. Meaning what? It will satisfy you. You don't have to keep looking. You don't have to get something bigger or better or shinier. You'll be satisfied. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. When your heart is delighting in anything else, it's a loving thing that God doesn't give it to you. It is, right? Like toddlers, we're going to God. I want this. I want this. This looks good to me. This would feel good to me. And God as a loving father says, I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to give you the desires of your heart until you make me the desire of your heart. And then have at it. All you'll want. Delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. John Piper says it this way in Desiring God in multiple places. This He says this about the glory of God. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Satisfied means, satisfied means we've come to grips with the idea of enough. I'm satisfied. I don't need any more to be happy. I don't need a new thing, another thing, another person. I don't need somebody else to like me or invite me. I'm satisfied. I have enough. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
I am created, if you're taking notes, I am created to worship God alone. I am created to worship God alone. Nothing about music in this verse. By finding my happiness in him as the sole object of my heart's deepest desires. I am created to worship God alone by finding my happiness in him as the sole object of my heart's deepest desires. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come back next week and continue our conversation about worship. And guess what? We're going to talk about music because music has, it plays a significant role in our worship. But today, right, today is a day of for personal inventory. Today is a day to ask ourselves some really honest questions, okay? And I'm going to dare you to do that. I'm going to dare you. Dare is probably not the right word. I'm just going to roll with it. I'm going to dare you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any false idols in your heart, okay? That's the conversation between you and him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna beckon you. I'm gonna dare you to do that. Say, God, as we pray here, show me the idols of my heart that I might what? That I might let those things go in pursuit of you. Show me where I've been pursuing false happiness in anything other than you. Show me where I've been pursuing a false sense of identity in anything else but you. Show me where I've been pursuing a false sense of security in anything else but you. And let's, let's pray together. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. Our prayer partners will be in the back of the room. Um, you know who they are. They'll be wearing little lanyards that say prayer partner. Um, let's respond now uh, to what God is stirring in our hearts together. Um, let's pray. And as we pray, I just want to say this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian... Um, let me explain to you how you become a Christian. By simply praying in your own heart to Jesus, asking him to be your savior, asking him to be the Lord of your life. And, and I don't want to put words in your mouth in any way or words in your heart, but it could go something like this. Jesus, today, for the first time, I am recognizing that you truly are the son of God and right now, Jesus, I, I believe that you have died on the cross for my sins, that you love me so much, you, you accept me how I am, but you don't leave me that way. And so today I'm giving you my life. Today I'm making you my object of worship. Today I'm coming to you as my source of joy and purpose and meaning. Satisfy me. You don't have to pray those exact words, whatever you pray in your own heart. If that's you today, and you become a Christian today by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, it would be awesome if you'd let somebody know. Maybe somebody you came with, or you'd want to jot it down on a connect card and let us know. Or go talk to one of our prayer partners and let them pray over you. Father, thank you for being a loving father to us. Thank you for giving us the truth of your word. And despite how many generations have read the Bible, how many generations have believed the Bible, the truth of the Bible still impacts us the same today. I pray now, Holy Spirit, you would move across this room, that you would draw the curtains back on our hearts that our idols might be exposed. 
could we leave here today? God is, is an idolless people. Could we leave here today with our hearts fixated on you and you alone? Could our pursuit of joy this week be in you and you alone? Holy Spirit, come do that work in us now, we pray. In Jesus' name.